verses 1 to 10. The branch from Jesse. A shoot will come up from, Jesse, from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest in him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions to the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will die, lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Infants will play near the hole of the cobra, and young children put their hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the Lord, will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Has something unlikely ever happened to you? Something that you would have totally discounted as being probable? Well, such things do have a habit of happening. And the return of Jesus is one of those things. This morning, you might feel it's unlikely, but it is going to happen. And our reading in Isaiah chapter 11 points us to that very fact. Now, it was a snowy Sunday evening, and I was sat in the arrivals hall at Newark Airport in New York. I was waiting for two colleagues who were flying in from Sweden and to take them to Pennsylvania. And I'd been in New York for the weekend, and so I thought I'd surprise them and give them a lift. But when I arrived at the airport, their flight was delayed five hours. So I sat waiting. And as I watched passengers coming through from the arrivals hall, I suddenly recognized somebody. Tez, I shouted out. And he turned. And it was a friend of ours from our church in Surrey. What are the chances? Just what are the chances? Later that week, my daughter posted on social media and said, hi, Tez, where are you? And he said, oh, I'm in America. And she replied, oh, my dad's in America. If you see him, say hi. What are the chances? Well, the unexpected does have a habit of happening. And what Isaiah wants to do is he wants to point us to what we think is the unlikely return of Jesus. Isaiah's prophecy is full of a hope, of a promise of hope. Both Israel and Judah were in desperate need. The world they knew was falling apart. 
The once great kingdom of David was divided. Northern Israel was under the Assyrian occupation and southern Judah was under threat. The skies were darkening and the world they knew was crumbling. And out of this darkness comes a promise of hope. Three events which would change their life and change the life of the world. When we read Old Testament prophecies, they often weave together different events, but with no timeline. It's called prophetic perspective. Three events, but no time frame. So what's the first event? The first event is in chapter 10, when we get the prophetic defeat of these Assyrians. The Assyrian army, Isaiah says, will be cut down like the stumps of a tree in a forest. And within months, Jerusalem will be besieged. And King Hezekiah will get a letter from the Assyrian king, and he'll lay it out before the Lord. And the following day, as prophesied, that besieging army, 185,000 men, would lie dead. And then we're taken forward 700 years from the stump of the Assyrian army to the stump of Jesse. Part two, a prophecy of the Messiah, one on whom the Spirit of the Lord will rest. And then comes the third part, and it's the coming of a just king. Isaiah takes us to the very judgment seat of God, and then we are swept into his eternal kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. This is Christ's second coming. Sin will be judged and destroyed, and then perfection will reign. This is wonderful imagery. Predators lying down with their prey. Children playing with cobras, putting their hands into the viper's nest. How, is this, how on earth is this possible? Because, Isaiah says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. Everything will be absolutely governed by God's perfect will. God's new creation will be outside the reach of sin and death. I don't know about you, but when I read these, these verses thrill my heart. I'm eager to be there, because this is heaven, safe beyond our imagination, utter peace. This is, the, this is the peaceful place in the presence of the Lord, filled with the knowledge of God. Do you know, this is a Christmas present you won't find on any Black Friday discount list. This is God's gift, courtesy of Calvary. So to a people racked in fear comes a promise of hope. But it's a promise of more than just repelling the Assyrians. It's a promise of a whole new world of peace and unity. A world turns upside down. A world where wild animals lie down together. And a world led by children. This is the return of innocence. This is life as God always intended it. If this were an election manifesto, it would wipe the board. Just think for a moment of what won't be needed in this new world. You won't need door locks. You won't need seat belts, hospitals, undertakers. You won't need NATO. There'll be no sadness, no pain, no abuse. And there's one word, one word that you'll never hear. You'll never hear the word sorry. Everything good will be magnified, and everything bad will be eliminated. Do you want to be there? I do. 
But there's one thing, there's one thing first that needs to be removed to make all this possible. One thing that stands between us and perfection, sin. It's our inherited gene. It's what drives us to rebel against God. It's the cause of everything which displaces God in our lives. It's the one thing that needs to be removed for perfect heaven. And the bad news is it's your sin. You can't enter God's glory carrying your sin. You can't take your angry spirit there. You can't take your self-centeredness. You can't take your greed with you. That is what destroyed paradise in the first place. And what's going to happen to paradise if you show up with your sin? Just see what happened to God's perfect world when sin turned up in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. Is God going to let that happen again? Is he going to let even the smallest virus of sin enter his perfect world? Of course not. Judgment is essential so that nothing can infect God's eternal world. Just think of the Ebola virus in Africa. Think of those medics working tirelessly to stop it spreading and to eradicate every trace of the pathogen. That's a type of judgment. Hunting down every virus that could burst out and cause harm. They need to isolate every outbreak and destroy everything that's contaminated. Just one person left untraced is enough for catastrophe. And so in chapter 11, Isaiah says this, He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Jesus will return in judgment, eradicating sin once and for all. In verse 9, he says that he is determined that nothing is going to harm or destroy on all my holy mountain. That means everyone who carries the strain of sin will be judged and destroyed. It's an act of cleansing, an act of justice. He's going to keep his new pure world perfect. Sin will be eradicated, and with it, the carriers of sin. And this is bad news, because it means we have a pre-booked ticket to judgment. The reality is we will face destruction. We will face hell and the same fate as the devil and his angels. You wouldn't want to enter heaven clutching your sin, would you? For a second, you might think you've got away with it, but then reality would dawn. On a visit to India, I was offered by a street vendor a carved marble model of the Taj Mahal. I offered him a silly price and he accepted. So I had this beautiful model. And back at Delhi Airport, there's an airport theme here, back at Delhi Airport, the security queue seemed enormous, and I really didn't want to unpack my exquisitely packed mini Taj. And then I saw a couple of people walking through an empty security booth, and I thought, I'll give that a go. And I got through, and I felt chuffed. I'd escaped scrutiny. And then it dawned on me. Then it dawned on me. If anyone could escape security, then everyone's safety was compromised. Judgment is essential for eternal security. If you take your sin into paradise, so does everyone else, and paradise is no more. But the really, really good news 
is that although we deserve judgment and banishment, there is another way. God invites us into his eternal perfection. Just on the, as on the cross, Jesus said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise, so he offers us the same. He has prepared for us a place, and the question is, will we accept it? One day he will have to judge, but the work of Jesus today is not to judge, but to save. His mission is a mission of rescue, not a mission of judgment. He offered himself in your place so that the sin in you is destroyed, but not in your body, but in his. This is my body given for you. The sacrifice on the cross is God's gift of love to you. It's an exchange. He's taken your sin and your punishment and you inherit his perfection. Isaiah's people couldn't see that clearly. But with the coming of Christ, we see how this all falls into place. And there are two things left for the fulfillment of this perfect kingdom. The first is your decision as to whether you accept salvation. And the second is the coming of Jesus in judgment. Christ's return is inevitable. And whether we join him in his kingdom or whether we are banished is our choice. But his heart weeps for us to make the right choice. But the choice is yours. It's a straight choice. There is no third way. It's his way or it's your way. His way leads to life. Your way leads to death. His way leads to freedom. Your way leads to destruction. So which choice do you take? Today he invites you to come, to turn from a self-centered life to a Christ-centered life. He calls you to repent, to turn round, to put Jesus as number one. Will you confess a life lived for self, for gain, and turn and crown Jesus as your eternal king? You can do that here this morning because his arms are outstretched and he calls you home, he invites you. Will you say, yes, Lord Jesus, I come? Dr. James Dobson tells of a patient he had who was a six-year-old boy. He was riddled with cancer. He lay in pain in a hospital bed and his mother sat with him day and night. And the nurses noticed how utterly exhausted this mother had become. And they gently persuaded her to go for a few hours sleep. But dawn hadn't broken before the mother was back. How is he? He's resting now. But during the night, he was hallucinating. He was saying he could hear the sound of bells. Oh, he's not hallucinating, mum said. I've told him. When the pain gets too much, listen out, and you'll hear the bells of heaven ringing to call you home. A mother preparing her young son to meet Jesus. Are you prepared to meet Jesus this morning? If you hear those bells ringing for you today, where will they be calling you? To judgment or to paradise? 
The bread and the wine this morning are our invitation. Jesus says, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, we hear those words of invitation. Lord, we thank you that the bread and the wine demonstrate that you change places with us, that you took my sin and my judgment and my punishment, that I might have your righteousness, your perfection, your eternal life. Father, this morning I invite you take my life. I turn from my selfishness and my greed and my anger and I turn to Jesus. I ask you to make Jesus my Lord, Lord of my life, that I might live for him, not only now but when he comes and in his perfect kingdom. For his glory we pray. Amen.